Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Oh, there he is. Good work. Hello, Larry. How are you? How are you guys? Oh, we're well, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. 
Have you been out beating the pavement or what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Non-stop. Yeah, I'll bet. Getting ready. Stop. I mean, one would, one yeah, would think... Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say we've been... Uh, trying to reverse the cuts at the Department of Labor, so we've been kind of uh, hitting the streets on that a little bit. So, yeah, What's going on there, by the way? Yeah, what happened with yeah, that? Was, was that in direct no. violation of a contract, or what happened there? Uh, I think it's actually a byproduct of the, you know, corporate accommodation of GE and other companies. You know, the state is running into more difficult budget problems because it's not uh, asking its wealthiest corporations and individuals to pay their fair share. So what happened was there was a drop in a decrease in federal money, not large. It was uh, way overestimated by the Labor Department. Uh, loss of federal funding because of the um, decrease in unemployment. And they laid off, uh, the state laid off 95 uh, frontline Department of Labor workers and closed uh, six uh, job center offices. Um, fortunately, we were able to save virtually all of the jobs by getting people um, located at other state agencies and oh, forced the Malloy administration to at least have a plan to keep the job centers uh, partially open. But, um, you know, these mm -hmm. are, they provide uh, really a credible array of services, and we're worried about people who are unemployed, people who are looking for work, trying to get a new job. Um, you take 95 people out of the system, and you, what you're going to have are five, six-hour waits for unemployment benefits, uh, lengthy, you know, times for to have your appeal heard if, uh, if your benefits are being contested. Um, it's going to be a mess. So what what have we what what is our unemployment rate now in Connecticut? Connecticut's unemployment rate is in the um I believe it's something like five point five percent or five point three percent. So it dropped a few percentage points, which is good. I you know, be the first uh -huh. to is tell that you real, that's not good. Are those real figures at all or Well, that, uh, I think you can have that's a good question. You can <laughs> I, I think anytime people talk about the unemployment rate dropping. I think part of it is that people have given up looking for jobs. People are off, uh, kicked off the benefit rolls. Um, yep. They're frustrated. They've given up um, or they're working, you know, five uh, low-paying part-time jobs. And uh, so I think that I don't need so I don't, if you're asking me, do I think that's an accurate reflection of what's going on in the economy? Then the answer is no. Uh, going back to the workers that you found jobs for, now was that yeah. um, was that out of the generosity of the state, or were you holding their fire to a feet to the fire on a union? Yeah, agreement? that was that was because we've negotiated really strong contract language that provides mm -hmm. uh, not just bumping rights, but reemployment rights in other agencies, as well as uh, a placement and training uh, contract language, so that we can. Uh, uh, move people across state agencies. So mm -hmm. um, the good news, for example, was that in for the 22 or so clerical uh, employees who were laid off, they were they moved over to the Department of Motor Vehicles, where there's been a hiring freeze and a job shortage. And as you know, they went to a very wacky computerized system. Lines have been yeah. long, so they needed to be fair. So 
people were able to move over, you know, across agencies. And so that's, that's the function of having a good union contract. Absolutely, and I think uh, we should give a lot of publicity to that because if that yep. happened, if if you were working without a union, it would be, geez, I'm really sorry, and that's it. Yep. Hit the street and don't that's let the door right. hit your ass on the way out. That's right, and don't look no, back. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Think unions, unions provide protection, a measure of protection and security that's otherwise missing for, what, for working is, people in this economy. What's the great attraction, Larry, to worker rights, to the, to the uh, you know, right to work? Well, there's well, no attraction. I, no, there must be. Uh, right. The yeah, answer is there's no attraction. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, it's a terrible phrase, a right to work, because it's um, really a strategy to bust unions and yeah. to drive down wages and to drive down the ability of uh, to uh, impede the work right of workers to organize, to have a better life. So the states that have these so-called, I don't like to call them right to work unless you call it right to work for less, um, well, states right. that basically... I don't agree with it either, but I, I you know, it's, it's always it's, it's this kind of news speaker, this kind of, uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's, uh, it's Hitlerian, you know, it's Hitler-like in its um, application. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's really yeah. true, you know. Yeah. Yeah, uh, what it is is that you don't have to join the union, but the union is forced to represent you. And yeah. you know what? If if if, if you had members-only unionism, I can live with that. If you think you can defend yourself against the arbitrary actions of your boss, God bless you. Go for it. If you think you can negotiate your own health care and retirement, God bless you. Yeah. Go for it. But you don't get the right. You know you don't get the benefit of the union representing you. What? Right to work for less uh, does is force the union to represent people who don't pay dues, so they have free riders, and um, I think that's antithetical to uh, what we stand for as a country. You know, when they talked about the people being laid off from the state uh, on the news, they never tell you about the other part, how the union worked hard to relocate those 95 workers into good-paying jobs because they're in a union. They leave that part out. Right. Not a word mentioned. Uh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, and, yeah. and look, we we also forced the public debate on the services themselves, what was going to be lost. And, you know, I am proud of our members for doing that. They, they never talked about themselves. They talked about people who come to the job centers needing help to write a resume and it's help that they get for free, you know. Um, they uh, help people locate jobs, uh, helping ex-felons um, who are coming from halfway houses. Uh, you know, met a guy down in Willimantic who drives a you know, through the got a job through the Department of Agriculture. He was uh, an inmate in Connecticut, and he's driving those big uh, milk trucks. You know, with the huge canisters of, of milk and you know he couldn't thank the workers at our Willimantic uh, our workers at the Willimantic uh, job center for their help and matching him up with an employer an employer who needed his skills and you know so that's what our workers talked about and I think it resonated publicly but that is the job centers are somewhat in peril now and I think it's going to make the economy worse and I think again 
it goes back to the square zero we always talk about on this show, which is, you know, we've been giving breaks and favors to the rich and the corporations for so long, it's drained the coffers. Yeah. What, did you, what sure. did you what did you think of Hillary's um Hillary's sudden uh reversal on the uh on a, yeah, the Trans Pacific uh, partnership. Uh T P P. Well yeah. I I would but, like to have I'm, seen her opposed from the start. But she was the one that you she know, was one of the main negotiators yeah. of it. You know? I would like to have seen her um oppose it from the start. So Yeah. Um, I mean, it does, and now I don't know where this thing is going anyway, quite frankly. I don't know what can be done to derail it um, or to change it. Uh, I don't, I'm, from what I'm reading, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot that can be done at this point. Well, I don't know why it can't be done. It's just that people don't know enough about it. But they're not being told. Right. And there's absolutely nothing That's in the it. news uh, that would... That would uh, that would make it sound uh, yeah, ominous the way it is. Do you but feel what I, what I liked about this this thing she said tonight was that, uh, oh, I was told that there are more problems with it than than I was aware of. I wasn't I mean, sure what that right. meant. She was the one. That, she was the major one of the major negotiators. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like Secretary of State. She is such a lying. Manipulative, hypocritical piece of work. I, I, just, I don't know whether I believe her. No, uh, I can't. Just, I just she was involved feel... with the negotiations. How can she possibly not know about it now? Right. That makes me, yeah. you know, feel uncomfortable about her. I'd like to think she was telling the truth, but you never liked but, her. But I didn't yeah. like her particularly. Yeah. But I, I just, as a candidate, I don't particularly care for her. But I'm wondering where that's coming from, and I'd like to know more about what's happening with the TPP, or if it's a fait accompli. Well, I don't think anybody knows, because like you just said, it's so poorly covered in the press that right. um, you know nobody's really taught, nobody ever talks about, like NAFTA, you never hear about the misery that it's caused in, in Mexico. No. Um, you never hear it. You know, so these trade deals never get covered the way they're supposed to be. And apparently, people couldn't even when they were in Congress couldn't read about it. You weren't you weren't allowed. It right. was the it was in some room where you weren't allowed to take any of the material out. I, I just found that very right. the whole thing very strange. No, it was, it was, and it was totally written by by lobbyists and corporate corporations. Corporations, yes. But you know, you know, the other thing that's really uh, not to get off the subject there because I, I've, we've been against this since since its inception. But the thing that surprised me tonight was uh, uh, this article that came up with uh, about uh, uh, um, Carly Farina Hightower. You know, Jim Hightower stuff. He's I love him. Much, yeah. Yeah. Well, he wrote about. He came up with something really quite 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 amazing. It says she call, he calls her a. a Carly Farina, uh, a flagrant liar, you know, and says that uh, mm-hmm. be careful about believing anything Carly Farina says because she is not only a relentless self-promoter, but also a remorseless liar, and she is doing everything in her power to convince Republicans she belongs in the White House. That's a, uh, that, this is Hightower, which I was real surprised. Uh, actually, the Nation of Change uh, is that, but it was a Hightower article. Because her... Mm. Well, she... Um, yeah. Her ability seemed to be rising, but you know, well, about, well of course she's a self from 
promoter. They it was all. On, it was all <laughs> in Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. thing, but but more so, she she really uh, she's really strange. Uh, it seems like well, they she's, have she's a pathological liar, according to Hightower. Well, they seem uh, to have quite a cast yeah. of characters on the Republican side. Oh, That's yeah, all yeah. I can say. Yeah. I mean, it's right. pretty, pretty scary bunch, Larry. I think. For the people, it, it for really the, is. And why, um, why, why do they have so many? And I found out uh, last night from our guest last night, uh, I think I mentioned it to you, uh, Larry, but he said that the reason that they put in so many Republican candidates was because they found that the system, the way, the way it works, you know, it, it, uh, it fractures the vote. So it makes a guy like Jeb Bush look that much more, you know, appealing. appealing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, my gosh. So you know he's uh, he's still in the running, but um, but you know it, it, over time I, I I'll bet you but within the next couple of months Trump will be down, Hillary will probably be down, and then Biden will jump in, and uh, some somebody some uh, Carlson or something will probably be up. So what do you know. what are you thinking from that standpoint? How how are they? Uh, does anybody, you, who are does the anybody look good to you? Yeah. And who are the unions? Who is the union looking at? <laughs> You know, I it's I mean the good thing is a lot of unions are slowing down that process um, after like AFT and uh, machinists unions jumped out and endorsed Hillary and seems to be catching a lot of flack from their members um, for doing that. So uh, everybody's slowing down. I think that um, that's good. I think the people. I think that you know right now unions like ours are just are, are we're watching. We're watching Wait. carefully, and you know we're waiting to see what kind of positions the candidates stake out, and and how, um, and and yes, how winnable things will be down the line. But you know, one thing we, you know, we, we just mentioned right to work, which um, you know, that would be uh, there's a Supreme Court case called uh, Friedrichs versus the California Teachers Association that will pave the way for national right to work if the, the Supreme Court justices rule against workers and, and for corporations as they seem to do. So, um, yeah. you know, we've got a lot on our plate and we're monitoring that, but we've got to really be um, making sure that we're in a good position to continue fighting for our members. So I think, you know, in, in some healthy way, um, all of these, these external things going on, all of these external events are uh, forcing us to slow down a little bit um, and see what happens and also to see who's emerging on the Republican side. Um, these are scary, crazy times, so I think you know, being right. being a little bit cautious is a good thing. And, you know, some unions are, are talking to, you know, are waiting for Biden to jump on board. Uh, there are unions, the teamsters apparently want to talk to Trump, which is kind of crazy, but, you know, go ahead, go for it. So, um, it, it's Trump? Just, is that he hasn't made any real uh, statements pro or, or or con against the unions, all right? He hasn't. Um, he definitely hasn't. And, and, and um, it, you know, it's kind of like leaving him out there. But I I really really wonder. I, uh, I don't I, think I could trust him though. I would be so worried. No, no, no. He's. Yeah, you know, Robert Reich had a really good piece about, you know, there's there's populists and there's kind of pop demagogues parading or masquerading, I should say, is populists. Yeah. And yeah. Um, Reich kind of said, Trump's the kind of populist that you would find down in South America. You know, he'll be a dictator. He'll be executing people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 
you're you know, not wrong. Uh, it, as opposed to like you know William Jennings Bryan or and somebody he, like that or Eugene Debs. Yeah, but Reich is a is a Clintonista, so we we don't we don't I, you know you got to He is, he is, but he 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 writes a hell of a witty column sometimes. And, uh, at least funny. he at least he said what a lot of people um, you know. You know, Trump is giving this uh, image that he's going to fight for the little person, the little guy, the little gal. I just don't see yeah. that. I don't see that at all. I don't either, personally. I, I can't see it. But I do see, you know. Well, I, he's kind of a megalomaniac. Yeah, he's a megalomaniac. He, he, he just, he just oh, is up. he ever? Huh? Is he ever? But, you know, I think most politicians are anyway. He's just, he's just oh, at least sort of honest enough. Yeah. You have to yeah, be yeah, out go ahead. There. He's, but he's he's almost. I mean, I I hate to say it. I, I really it, I don't like to say it, but I've said it on my site and I've said it on radio. He has a he has a Hitleresque kind of um, attitude yeah. that, that scares the living hell out of me when I when I listen. To well, him. because he's, and that's he's what so, Reich's point was in his column. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right. He's basically out. like, if you don't agree with me, I'll blow you up. You know, it's like, exactly. uh, right. you know, just the stupid comment he made after the tragedy in Oregon, where he said, you know, uh, you know, I carry, and you know, they wouldn't have shot me, and you know, you're surrounded by 20 bodyguards. Uh, you know, you're driving bulletproof limousines. You know, cut it out. You know, you do You know, these it, it's good. everyday folks like you and me who are at risk of these mass shootings, not the Donald Trumps of the world. Yeah, but, but yet I'm just like you little guys out there, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Twenty five, thirty bodyguards around him. But uh, you know, I, are you? So, so it, it's still way up in the air. I don't. What do you think of the Biden's chances of uh, anything? Oh, do you think there's a strategy I, around that? You know, I, 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 I'd only be guessing, and and I don't like to do that. Um, He's really, he's obviously taking his time and maybe he's struggling with this. Um, I, I think the fact that he's even in play is, is more a reflection of um, how poorly Hillary's run the campaign to date. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And Democrats. I'm, I'm not even entirely convinced he wants to run, and that's not a good quality. You know, that's not a good thing. Yeah, he no. shouldn't feel pressured into yeah. running because Hillary's doing such a lousy <laughs> job on the campaign trail. Yeah. 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 I mean, that takes a lot out of a person. I mean, in. Uh, well, it does, and he's been through. And he's been through a lot with with his son and everything else. Um, now, look, I have no doubt that if he enters the race, um, he really he's gonna he's gonna pull a lot of support away from her. So I think they're I think the Democrats are really wrestling with this, and I think I'm sure he's getting leaned on by a lot of people not to do this. Um, so who knows how this is gonna play out? Yeah, I thought he was actually being leaned on to do it because you know he's the uh, I mean once her poll started going to hell. And once she started uh, stumbling all over herself, uh, Bernie started charging. <laughs> but, but, yeah. you know, Bernie, I don't know, I've I, I got a funny feeling he's going he's gonna to step all over himself sooner or later. I think that's what... Uh, yeah, I'm going to be honest. You know. He's not, you know, he's not galvanizing me. Um, and, you know, he, he seems like a decent enough guy, but, um, you know, he's not really... I don't know. There's something about him that just isn't quite resonating with me yet. 
yeah. Have, in your circles, have you heard Jim Webb mentioned at all? No, which is kind of too bad because he's an interesting guy, and um, you know he's got some 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 worthy bona fides. You know, he you know, especially having been a military veteran. But he's just, well, you know, he and O'Malley are pretty much off the radar screen, even though they're still technically in the race. That's good. They're kind of floundering. And I, I, and I prefer was, Webb to O'Malley. Yeah. But I, I was very surprised that he was, right. uh, he's not, well, you know, He's an intellectual. Leader, but at first, I, he, he kind of he kind of hesitated to come on the scene, and then he was waiting, and he waited a little bit, and then like he had support, and then all of a sudden, uh, the, uh, he went to Iowa and he was talking there, but he never got any major coverage at all at, in the media. Nope. And, uh, that, nope. That, that, that nope. Awesome. No, that bothers me. Yeah, well, it, 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 you know, it he, is. He's really not a shark. You know, he he doesn't. Yeah, he's kind of a laid back guy. Yeah, right. he is. But but. And he's a bright guy, and he probably thinks about what he's going to say before he speaks. Unlike these other people. Yeah, but he's written half a dozen books. Well, he's an intellectual, and but, it, the, um, that the appeal to the public for people like that but is, see, but see, is he is, not he, so he much. He originally was thinking of becoming an independent. Mm. You know, and uh, right. kind of right. chance with the Democrats because they are. Uh, but no you know, one seems, no one I talk to has even heard of him. So just me. Yeah. I know it's it's funny, uh, it, and you know it's just and when you see the amounts of money being raised, it's frightening. Uh-huh. So you know that that's the other thing. Guys like Webb and O'Malley just don't have the hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, each of the Republican candidates or most of the Republican candidates, either through their own wealth or their backers, have you know, oodles of money. And you know Hillary's got tons of money and it's just really you know it's um it's kind of an ugly uh, spectacle they don't even don't even need their own money i mean they just they just get you know get it from uh foreign countries and anybody else who wants to mm-hmm. give like yeah and it's it's a tragedy it's an american tragedy that money is so polluted uh, and prostituted the system hey you know jimmy carter said the uh, uh came out the other day and said that he could never, ever have been have, have run for president today when you need a hundred million dollars to, you know, just to just to uh, um, be a viable candidate. You know, the money is the no, money and is of course, dividend. it's crazy. But and it's been even it's facilitated to an even greater degree, obviously, by the Supreme Court's yeah. Citizens United decision. Uh, nobody ever, you know, 30, 20, 10 years ago, nobody envisioned um, what a chilling impact this would have on our democracy. So, it's, uh, you know, Bush uh, got what he wanted. He appointed Roberts and those clowns to the Supreme Court, both Bushes. Yeah, you know what? You know, I was, I was want just to say I, I, they had a a, a, a discussion on uh, on the Supreme Court uh, recently on C-SPAN. I, I saw it, and they said that um, they said they of all the of, this is the this is the most business corporate um, uh, Supreme Court uh, we've had yep. in the last five years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So. I agree, and every time they—that's why it's, it's frightening with this Friedrich case, because every time they've had a ruling involving workers, it's pretty much gone uh, against. The, the only thing Roberts did was uphold Obamacare. Uh, um, other than that, um, you know, they're really 
we can't name anything that they've done to help workers or to scale back, scale back or dial back, you know, oh. big businesses uh, control of this country. Oh, man. So. Larry, we're going hey, listen, to, I have, um, I got to, I got to take, I apologize. I need, to, I need to take off actually. I'm taking my daughter out. So, um, right. to meet I, I friends, but the whole year. <laughs> left, you know, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about next month, and I'll be uh, talking with you privately right. on the issue we discussed today. So um, I appreciate thanks you guys so reaching out to me. And thanks again, yeah, Lila. Good to hear your voice. It's okay. nice to talk with you, Larry. Thanks for being with Good. us. Good night. Thanks for all you guys. Too. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Welcome. That was Larry Dorman, uh, Community Affairs Coordinator. For AFSCME Council for Public Affairs Coordinator. Sorry. So he's always out uh, talking to people, working with the public, trying to keep his finger on the pulse of what's going on in Connecticut as well as in the nation. AFSCME works very hard for all of its union people. And I think it's wonderful that they placed those 95 people. Yeah, that's, that you know, that shows that they had a really strong contract. I mean, that's how it should be. Yeah. I mean, they were those people were very fortunate, I, I think. Mean, that's 100 jobs that, you know, they've lost, you know, otherwise. And, uh, yeah, and you know what? They're all. It seems to me every time you hear about these jobs that get lost, it's always right before, you know, the holidays. The holidays yes. You know, I and well, I think it's, how, it's when the budgetary. Yeah, the yeah. third quarter or fourth quarter. And those yeah, poor people, yeah. can you imagine the amount yeah. of stress these people must have oh, had? Terrible. It was terrible. But they were very fortunate that I'm they sure had a strong contract. I'm sure they were happy they paid those dues. They must be saying yeah. thank you, thank you every moment when they right. get up and say, thank God I have a job, because there aren't so many jobs to be had. And you were talking about that uh, to me recently. How many jobs did we have developed this, in the... Last month, the United States only, in all the United States, they only made 142,000 jobs. Were new paid. jobs. Jobs. You know, I don't even know if they were new jobs. They were jobs. Vacancies. Yeah. So they, they That's were not told. very many. No. 142,000, that's they, the lowest month in, in 10 years. And, of course, they didn't say what kind of jobs. Oh, yeah, they just, cause they just said jobs, you know. You know, they so, could be those those little part-time jobs or fast food jobs. Yeah, people, I mean, are, we want to. People are, are working multiple jobs, and and mm-hmm. you know, um, and those and once they do, once they get a little part-time job, they're off the unemployment roll. Mm-hmm. Even though they're uh, partially unemployed, you know. Boy. But uh, but oh, very hard for people. Yeah. Very that's hard. why you want to. That's why you can't. Even Trump said you can't. You can't trust. He Trump came out the other day and said he believes that it's upwards around 30% unemployment in this country. And I've seen statistics that have shown that as well, right? Really? really? So, you know, because, like Larry said, between people who can't find work and people have up, taken, you know, Or and, people have taken four part-time jobs just yeah, to yeah, put bread on the table. Exactly. So it's like, you know, you, you, it's really, really hard to... And that's why he was concerned about the closing of these job centers because Absolutely. it really helped people get in touch with what was out there. I mean, you don't know where to go or where to look. You need a professional yeah, to do that. Yeah, that's 5.6%. <coughs> I don't know. Just, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, that just doesn't make any sense for this, for this state. And uh, so, anyway, we're going to continue here in a moment. 
And let's see what we've got for news. Um, got a lot of interesting stuff. Um, here's something that I thought should, everybody should hear. Um, the Hidden History, a Corporate Coup of 1930. Oh, that would be interesting. This is a, it's about 14 minutes, but it's really, really okay. fascinating. I it think the you, folks at home would want to listen yeah, to it that. Tells, it, it explains how the, um, how the fascist bastards in this country, all right, back in the 30s, Henry Ford and, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan and, uh, you know, Rockefeller and, and all of these clowns uh, started this uh, backed, and, and George Bush's uh, Prescott. father, Prescott Bush. This is a bad and, man. Yeah, and uh, Herbert Walker, uh, who, was, uh, who is the uh, father of Barbara Bush, mm-hmm. okay, and Harriman, the whole, the whole operation there, they became the financiers for the for Hitler's uh, takeover of the uh, uh, of Germany. Germany. All right, and Henry so Ford, yeah, Henry Ford actually made the tanks and the and the trucks for the Nazi uh, war party for the Nazi army. It makes yeah. me never want to buy a. Why did I buy a Ford? Why would you even want to have a Ford? Why would you? I mean, this guy. You know, these, these guys are such criminals. Bad people. And why would anybody want to bank with any of these banks? So we're gonna we're going to uh, we're gonna play this. It's about 14 minutes, but it's really 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 good. And you can see it also on YouTube. It's under Labor. Um, that's the name of it. It's not, it's not a good uh, title for it, but um, let's let's it, play it. it. It's very 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 good. So we're going to play that for you right now. Sit back, relax. The corporate coup of the 1930s. And then ask yourself, is it really any different today? Oh, yeah. It's different today. But today we have real fascism in this country thanks to these these guys. Let's take a look at this. It's really true. Thanks to these guys, they won. If you want to construct a network with new roads, new steelworks, new factories, you need one thing, money. You need investment. And the investment didn't come from Hitler. It came from Brown Brothers Harriman and their business associates, Fritz Thiessen. It came from Jean-Marc Schacht and his best friend, Simon Adieu Norman. It came from men like Axel Wenegren, the Swedish multimillionaire arms manufacturer, and Charles Bedeau, the French business mogul. These people were all in the same bed with their Nazi friends, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, the Dulles brothers, Prescott Sheldon Bush and George Herbert Walker, with whom they'd created the Union Bank for laundering Nazi money. And with stage one of their plan for world domination complete, they now turned to the second phase, which was meant to be the overthrow of American democracy and the imposition of fascist government upon the United States. In order to pull this off, these Nazis raised money from America's richest families, many of whom in this new consumerist society and become household names. The Colgate family, the Birdseye family, the DuPont family, the Rockefeller family. These people handed over millions to the American financiers of Hitler so they could hire, train and supply a private army which would attempt to overthrow the democratically elected government of Franklin Delano Roosevelt and impose fascist dictatorship in America. Of course, it's natural to wonder, considering they had such advantages, how on earth did they fail to pull it off? The simple answer is that they chose the wrong man. 
because their choice to lead this Nazi insurrection was Major General Smedley Darlington Butler, the most decorated soldier of the period and in all of American history, perhaps the most unsung hero of all. Because Smedley Butler was the most genuine Democrat and lover of liberty the world has ever seen. I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men which would be able to take over the functions of government. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institutions. I want to retain the right to vote, I have the right to speak freely, and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. Spedley Butler tricked the plotters into thinking he was interested for just long enough until he was sure who all the major players were, and then he told the president. This put FDR in a quite impossible position. America at that time was just coming out of the Great Depression. The last thing he wanted was to cause another economic downturn, and he feared that if he scooped up all the leading bankers and captains of industry in the United States and threw them all in jail, the country just might fall apart. So what could he do? To Smedley Butler's utter incredulity, he chose, in the end, to do nothing. In spite of the fact that these men had committed treason and should have been hanged, their power was such that they were not even charged, let alone tried, and so great was their influence, they were able to keep America out of the war until December the 7th, 1941. trucks 
But if anyone at that time had taken the trouble to lift up the cowling and look at the engine, they would have found these were actually Ford trucks, which had been built with personal permission from Henry Ford, who was sitting in his office 4,000 miles away in Dearborn, Michigan, a service for which he was given the Grand Cross of the Eagle, the highest honor the Nazis ever bestowed on a civilian. Ford sued the U.S. Army, uh, the U.S. Uh, government in, uh, in the 50s because during the war the U.S. Uh, Air Force bombed their tank-making facilities in Germany. And they, this is true. And what was it, like 52 or something, they sued the U.S. government for, for destroying their factories. And they won. They won the lawsuit. So I had to write a little song for Henry here. little hamlet 
just happened to be in an extremely mineral-rich region, particularly for coal, which Western industrialists had wanted to get their hands on for years. With the coming of the Hitler regime and the invasion of Poland, the fascist financiers had the bright idea of turning this conquered region into an investor's paradise by building a Nazi concentration camp near the town and utilizing the slave labor available to drastically reduce their own production costs. Few people are aware of the gigantic scale of the Nazi concentration camp network and are blissfully unaware that the real purpose behind their construction was to make a profit for the rich, which is why they stole all the gold watches, gold wedding rings and gold teeth fillings and melted them down into gold ingots. To this day, there are bars of gold lying in the vaults of the Bank of England, which have the Nazi swastika stamped on them. Gold stolen from Jewish corpses. It shouldn't come as any great surprise that George Herbert Walker's family were slave owners on the cotton plantations of 1930s America. Walker was used to organizing slave labor. So while his business associate, Averill Harriman, was paying for Hitler's half-million SS troops and supplying them all with brand-new Thompson submachine guns, because he did, Walker took over the management of this new Polish concentration camp. And when his Nazi friends started complaining that they couldn't pronounce the name Oswitzim any better than I can, they all got together and decided they had better Germanize the name into something which sat more comfortably on Nazi tongues. It was in this way that the world first heard of Auschwitz. Because the truth about Auschwitz and the entire Nazi war machine is that they were essentially no different to McDonald's. They were American business enterprises abroad, businesses which the richest European families invested in and businesses which because of slave labor made obscene profits, which Prescott Sheldon Bush took and placed in a blind trust, which later financed a Bush political dynasty which produced two presidents of the United States, his son, George Herbert Walker Bush, and his grandson, George Walker Bush. This picture of the railway leading into Auschwitz has, since World War II, become the iconic image of the Holocaust. To us, it now represents something like the gate to hell, but how differently, one wonders, would we have looked at this image all of our lives if we had always known that this railway line was an American railway line laid by the Harriman brothers on behalf of Uncle Sam. The Standard Oil IG Farben cartel even made the Zyklon B gas for the Jewish Holocaust. Now anyone who at this point is thinking that all this simply cannot be true because if it was, someone would have sued, well someone did. This information came into this public domain because of a Dutch intelligence agent who was so disgusted when he found all of this out, he leaked it to the press. As a result of which, two very senior Jewish gentlemen, Kurt Julius Goldstein and Peter Gingold, filed suit against the American government. Of course, the more discriminating among us will now be asking how it can be that this story went completely unreported in the mainstream media. One might just as well ask why the Times in London was writing favorable stories about the Nazi concentration camps throughout the 1930s, and why Lord Rothmere was still referring to Hitler as a great gentleman as late as 1940. You really would think by now that people would have realized that it isn't so much the bias in the media which really matters, it's the things they know about, but never tell you, that really matter.
because the truth is that the press knew exactly what was going on in the concentration camps all through the war. They never said a word about it because they knew who was making money from the slave labor. In a short 14 minutes, we got a good little history yeah, of what really, happened. Yeah, what and really happened there, you know, and, and nobody knows that. Um, and that's staggering. what's happening now in the Middle East. Not only happening in the Middle East, but, but we, we are a fascist nation now. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we have, guys, we, we have no Ford and Chrysler mm-hmm. and DuPont and Goldman Sachs and all these... All these bankers. We have no president pr- trying to protect us. No, we don't. Uh, you know. Uh, we ne- have no Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And even Franklin no. couldn't protect us. He, no. he he tried, but he couldn't. And you know, um, but we're at the same point now. We're we're at the brink of a depression. We're we are in a depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and we got a president who's just trying to. Who, all he's doing is, uh, you know. Uh, you know, appeasing more corporate, uh, more corporate uh, people. I mean, this trans-Pacific, more corporations. This Trans-Pacific Partnership is just a, a complete and utter giveaway to corporations and a giveaway of American sovereignty. So it's really, really frightening. Uh, Secret Service agents say Hillary is a nightmare to work with. Uh, I, you know, I thought this was interesting because. Um, People are so many people think of her as such a wonderful, compassionate, nice person. Well, it turns out that the Secret Service who had to work with her say she's a horrid person. She's an absolute nightmare to work with. Cold hearted, mean, miserable. Say good morning, ma'am. A member of the uniform of the uniform Secret Service once greeted Hillary Clinton. She said, Fuck off she replied. That that Exchange is one amount, uh, one, one among, among many. many that active and retired Secret Service agents shared with uh, Ronald Kessler, author of First Family of Detail, a compelling book at the intrepid personal uh, personnel who shield who shield America's presidents and their families and uh, those whom they guard. Uh, it, uh, Kessler writes violently and critically about people in both parties. Regarding the Clintons, Kessler presents Chelsea as the model protectee who respected and appreciated her agents. He describes Ville as a difficult chief executive but an easygoing ex-president. And Kessler exposes Hillary as an equally abusive, as an epically abusive, abusive Arctic monster. Oh, my goodness. When in public, Hillary smiles and acts graciously, Kessler explains. As soon as the cameras are gone, her angry personality, nastiness, and imperiousness become evident. He adds, Hillary Clinton can make Richard Nixon look like Mahatma Gandhi. That's pretty scary. Kessler was an investigative reporter with the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and has penned 19 other books. Among much more in first family detail, he reports, Hillary was very rude to agents and she didn't appear to like law enforcement or the military. 
Former Secret Service agent Lloyd Bullman recalled she wouldn't go over and meet military people or police officers as most protectees do. She was just um, really rude to almost everybody. She'd act like she didn't want you around, like you were beneath her. Hillary, uh, Hillary didn't uh, like the military aides wearing the uniforms around the White House, one former agent remembers. She asked if they would wear business suits and sets. Instead, the uniforms are a sign of pride, and they're proud to wear the uniforms. I know that the military was actually really offended by it. Former agent Jeff Crane says Hillary would cuss at Secret Service drivers for going over bumps. Gee, she wouldn't think it would bother her. She has quite a lot of junk there in her trunk. Another former member of her DTO recollects Hillary never talked to us. Most of all, most all members of first families would talk to us and smile. She never did that. We spent years with her, um, yet another secret age, service agent notes she never said thank you. Within the White House, Hillary had a standing rule that no one spoke to her when she was going from one location to another, says former FBI agent Coy Copeland. In fact, Anyone who would see her coming would just step into the first available office. <laughs> One former Secret Service agent states, if Hillary was walking down a hall, you were supposed to hide behind drapes used as partitions. Hillary one day ran into a White House electrician who was changing a light bulb in the upstairs family quarters. She screamed at him because she had demanded that all repairs be performed while the Clintons were outside the executive mansion. She caught the guy in a ladder doing the light bulb, says Frenette McCulloch, who served at times at that time as assistant White House pastry chef. He was a basket case. White House usher Crispy Emery unwisely called back Barbara Bush after she phoned him for computer trouble. Emery helped the former first lady twice. Consequently, Kessler reports, Hillary sacked him. The father of four stayed jobless for a year. While running for U.S. Senate, Hillary stopped at an upstate New York 4-H club. As one Secret Service agent says, Hillary saw farmers and cows and then erupted. She turned to a staffer and said, what the F did we come here for? There's no money here. Secret Service agents consider being assigned to her detail a form of punishment, Kessler concludes. In fact, agents say being on Hillary Clinton's detail is the worst duty assignment in the service. After studying the Secret Service and its relationships with dozens of presidents, vice presidents, and their families, Ronald Kessler's astonishment at Hillary Clinton's inhumanity should reverberate in every American's head. As he told me, no one would hire such a person to work at McDonald's and yet she's being considered for President of the United States. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's horrible. What a, what? Absolutely horrible. I, I was glad. I'm glad Larry said that all the unions are slowing down. They're not that. rushing to yeah, run rushing in and support her. Yeah. I, I, was glad, I was glad to hear that, too. That made me feel a lot better. Yeah, but... Uh, Uh, this this is a horrible thing too. Um, this is outright robbery. Don't garnish Social Security. 
to pay student loan debt. Can you imagine if they, they have to go, they're, they're going after people's Social Security to pay these loans off? Americans used to be able to get a college degree without going into debt, but politicians dismantle that debt-free college system, and the burden is now so heavy that student loan debt follows people to their grave. Today, over 700,000 people relying on Social Security are still paying for their student loans. Over 160,000 Social Security beneficiaries have their monthly checks garnished to pay off federal student loans. This oh, is that's criminal. ridiculous. This is absolutely criminal. And until 1996, it was against the law to garnish uh, uh, Social Security benefits to pay debts. But that protection was stripped for debts owed to the federal government, meaning, you know, uh, with student loans. But we can fix this. It doesn't even require an act of Congress. The Department of Education can declare a moratorium on garnishing Social Security benefits for student debt. We can make this happen and bring relief to the many Social Security recipients still struggling to repay their loans. Uh, this is sponsored by the AFL-CIO, AFT, AFSCME, Alliance for Retired Americans, um, Campaign for American Future, um, Center for Global Policy, Common Cause, Courage Campaign, Credo, Daily Cause. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. Here. And uh, and they have a petition here to sign. It says to, to Barack Obama and Education Secretary Arne, Arne Duncan, declare a moratorium on garnishing Social Security benefits to pay student loans. Okay. That's a terrible thing. Yeah. And you can add your name right to there. So it's like, uh, it's really, really, really horrendous what's going on here. It's really bad. <laughs> ah, so. Uh, this is sad. This is a sad thing, just to tell, to say what kind of crazy, crazy stuff we um, do. Mm -hmm. If the U.S. supports this insane nation, what does that make us? Petition. Free Ali Muhammad al-Nimar facing death to crucifixion by crucifixion and beheading in Saudi Arabia. This guy was a blogger. Imagine that. All he did was, a, was write a blog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, go, they want to cut off his head and crucify him. Uh, Muhammad al-Nimar was 17 years old when he went to an anti-government protest in Saudi Arabian province of Katif. Uh, he was accused by the government of carrying a firearm, attracting social security forces, and even armed robbery. Uh, attacking None of these charges could be proven, but he confessed nonetheless. He didn't have a lawyer, and some say the confession was drawn from the teenager by torture. Huh. His sentence is due to be carried out by beheading and crucifixion, a method that involves removing the head of the prisoner and trying, tying their headless body to a cross. Oh, that's terrible. So this is a what a what a barbaric, horrible, freaking nation this is, and we're, you know, Saudi Arabia is one of the most pro prolific executioners in the world, putting more than 2,200 people to death between 1985 and 2015. And between January and the end of August, August 2015, it executed at least 130 people, most half of them uh, for offenses that do not meet the threshold of most serious crimes, 
for which the death penalty can be imposed under international law. Well, Saudi Arabia also sentences uh, people to death and executes them for crimes committed when they were below 18 years of age in violation of the country's obligations under customary international law and the Convention of the Rights of the Child. The authorities repeatedly failed to abide by international standards for fair trial and UN safeguards guaranteeing protection of the rights of those facing the death penalty. Too often deaths in, uh, too often trials in death penalty cases are held in secret and their proceedings are unfair and summary with no no assistance or representational uh, representation through the various stages of detention. And um, so, anyway. You can forget that they're going to respond to it, Saudi Arabia. No, no. Respond to what, the petition? Yeah. Yeah, No, not likely. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, it's, it's there. Uh, it's, it's sad, and it's criminal, and we support this this horrible. Well, we created horrible, we created that country. We created the we country. Put, we, and we put supported the, it, and, and now we, we put the we put the Saud family in power. Yeah, and that's yeah. why they do what we tell them, and and in exchange for that, they can abuse and persecute the people that live there. Yeah, that's a horrible thing. Anyway, Saudi Arabian authorities have responded with rep- repressive measures against those suspected of taking part in a supporting protest or expressing views critical of the state. Protesters have been held without charge and incommunicado for days or weeks at a time, and some are reported to have been tortured and otherwise ill-treated. Nearly 20 people connected with protests in East Province have been killed since 2011, and hundreds have been imprisoned. Of those whose cases have moved to the courts, many have been charged solely with taking part in demonstrations. So this is quite a long article, and if you it's awesome. it's um, you can go to it and sign the petition, it might be a useful yeah, thing Care to do. Yeah, CARE2 Petitions is the name of this website. So that's really sad. He's only 17. Yeah. So anyway, we're out of time, but we want to thank everybody who joined us tonight, and hopefully tell your friends and join us uh, again uh, when you can. Uh, take care. Have a good good evening, folks. And you're coming up to a holiday weekend, so be safe. Yeah, be safe. So just so Lila feels better about our, our song, I'm going <laughs> to play out this tonight with Barnstormer. So good night, everybody. <laughs>